Good morning um, once again and let me just begin by saying a happy new year to all of you. I don't think I've had the chance to do so. Um, I hope 2021 for all of us is a happier, brighter and perhaps closer year than 2020. But before we begin this morning, let me just dedicate our time together in the word to prayer. Let's pray. Father God, you have given us such a joy to be able to seek you. Such a privilege that we're able to come together from different places to learn more about you. You tell us in your word that not only do we need bread every day, but we need to feast on every word that you give us. And so I pray that today you'll open up something from this book of wisdom, that we'll be able to learn something about you. And will you draw us closer to your nature? Will you perfect all that we do and say so that we might glorify you in this time? This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Whenever I'm preparing a sermon, um, I was always taught at the university that it's important to take into account not just the congregation and yourself, but also the context of the wider world. And on my desk at home last week when I was preparing today's lesson, um, something occurred to me. Um, I was looking at this wee calendar that I have knocking on God's door and I was struggling to come up with a way of, of, of interpreting and understanding Proverbs too because it's not a book I'm familiar with. And so there I was flipping to, to, to the 10th of January and the statement or the quote for that day came from Esther 4. For such a time as this I read. I just got lost for a moment in, in that phrase. I realised that after the events of this week and of 2020, we've actually come to the book of Proverbs at such a good time. If there was ever a time where we needed to seek God's wisdom and God's counsel, it's for such a time as this. It's why this year I think I committed myself not to setting up a few resolutions that I would inevitably fail but I wanted to draw closer to God to get to know him better and put, a, put off time to study his word in sections so that I could get to draw closer to him um, and see what he's about rather than what the world's about. Because 2020 taught me that I don't have a monopoly of control over my own life. The world is out of control um, and, you know, we're all really at the mercy of what's going on around us. And so this feels like we need to, to reinforce our lives and, 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 and cover our lives in the wisdom of God. And not only that, that on the back of the worst years, this week to me has been really surreal. Insurrection in the United States is something I never thought I would see. I never thought I'd see a return to narcissism clinging to power. People scrambling for what to make of it. People at each other's throats. Division and disgrace. The planet feels like it's in its birth pains as Jesus spoke about. It does to me anyway. And I was watching Sir David Attenborough's documentary called Perfect Planet and he does this wonderful documentary on how amazing this planet has been created. He actually really, for the first time I think, comes close to acknowledging that something must have happened to, to make this, this earth so perfect because it all works in symbionts with one another. Every, every animal and every, every being and every creative thing works together 
And then he shows us the other side that we as humans, because of our lack of wisdom and our lack of discernment or our lack of care, we've allowed this earth to be trashed and we can, we're consuming and consuming and consuming and it's destroying itself. And we do that because we've just got no wisdom. We've got no conscience and no discernment around us. We've swapped God for a world that provides no hope. We've swapped rationality and clarity for 120 characters on Twitter. The wisdom of the world from whichever angle you look at it seems to be full of bleakness and emptiness. It's hard not to look around you in the current climate, to read the newspaper and to think, is this all the world has to offer us? And yet, last week, when Gordon opened up chapter one of the book of Proverbs, book of wisdom, we were introduced to the idea of God's wisdom shouting at us from the streets taking to the squares and announcing itself. We met a wisdom that sits in complete contrast with the wisdom of the world. And we explored how we're taught that what God wants for us is different to what the world wants for us. How God's wisdom, how his innate character can be relied on, can be clung to, can be pursued, can be wielded for goodness and for purity and for holiness. God's wisdom, in other words, in simple terms, exposes the naked shame of worldly wisdom. And one of the positive things about reading Proverbs for the first time is that I've managed to come to it with a new set of eyes that, that doesn't see any of the other stuff, has no preconceived ideas of what it might contain, and I've been able to read it just as the words and one of the most fascinating things that's really spoke to me from the book of Proverbs, and particularly chapter two, which we're looking at today, is how deeply, deeply practical it is. The further we delve into each verse and in each chapter, the more practical it becomes. In its own unique, beautiful way, it presents good news, the good news of God and the path of life for the blind sinner that needs a new heart and a new way to live. It's a gospel book, isn't it? A gospel book in that it's the wisdom of God instructing bad people on the way of goodness. And as we delve into chapter two, that's what we'll be presented with. Whilst chapter one introduced us to the idea of God's wisdom, chapter, sorry, chapter one, chapter two, is an innate conversation between a parent and a child, a father and a son. It takes us to an intersection of who we are and who we're supposed to be. And so if you're in a place today where you want to see a change in your life or in an aspect of your life and you don't know how to get there, I think Proverbs 2 speaks directly to you. If you find yourself not growing in faith and feeling stuck, or if you're wondering what kind of person God wants you to be, or if you're looking at yourself honestly and thinking you need to know God better and closer than you had before, then I think this chapter, this book actually, calls out to all of those things and reminds us of what's important. Because in a world of turmoil, of ambiguity, of mistrust, 
of the polarising politics and the social injustice. Proverbs provide, provides us with the two paths, a path of wisdom and a path of folly, and presents us with a decision that has to be made that has eternal consequences. Now, with that in mind, I really actually only have one goal as we explore this together today, and I hope that you can, I hope and pray that you can share in it with me, and it's this. I pray that as we read this and as we go through this together, that we all resolve in our heart to face up to and passionately pursue this wisdom and knowledge of God, to passionately pursue it. It's the single most important thing, I think, for the Christian to do, to love God with all of their heart and mind and soul and pursue him and run for him with all of our heart to seek him in as much as we can. And we do that because, and that's that's the first commandment and the most important commandment, because Jesus knew that was how God would change us into to be more like him. So as we go through this chapter in the morning, have that in your mind. Are we pursuing God with all of our heart, mind and soul that we should be? Now, if you turn with me to verses one to four of chapter two, you're going to find something quite interesting and quite different to the rest of scripture, I think. You'll find that you're reading a kind of poetry because it's got a method and a rhyme and it flows differently to, to, from most of the scriptures that read and it's deliberate. And although we don't have time to go into all the intricacies of why the language is like that, I just want to give you the pattern on the surface because you'll see there in verses one to four quite a lot of if statements, you know, if you do this, if you seek this, if you go there, if you want this. Um, and it, in a quite a beautiful way, the writer, Solomon, is giving us commandments, really, God's commandments on how to be and how to live as a people of God without actually telling us what to do. They outline the specific conditions it means for someone to be a person of faith, a lover of God. It's like Jesus said in John 14, isn't it? If you love me, you'll follow my way. And that's that's absolutely what's going on here. If we are a people who earnestly seek God, then we will be able to say yes to all of those things he says. We'll be able to say, yes, I'll accept your words. Yes, I'll store up your commands. Yes, I'll make my ear turn to your ways. Yes, I'll apply my heart to understanding. Yes, I will call out for insight. Yes, I'll raise my voice. I'll look for you in the sill like I look for silver. I'll search for you like I search for hidden treasure. Every single one of these phrases is illustrating one thing that we cannot properly be the people of God until we are chasing God in an active and pursuing way. We've got to do the accepting of his word. We've got the storing up of his commandments in our hearts. All of these can things conveying an active and participating and practical way to live for, for Jesus and to live for God. The heart of the faithful of God has no time to do nothing. It's, it's foreign in the Bible to be a follower of the Lord and not have to rest in our laurels. We don't, get, we don't get a chance to do that. We're always to be active. Our faith and our love for the Lord is a chasing, running after, seeking out faith. It's a desire to be completely satisfied in the God who created us. John Piper, who set up Desiring God, was asked why he called his, his ministry Desiring God. What does it mean to desire God? And he said this, he says... God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Isn't that amazing? 
The more we have satisfaction in the God that we love, the more he is glorified. And that's the case because when we love God so much, it shows through our life and people see and want that. That's the attractive thing about the Christian faith. In the early days in the book of Acts, you'll see that people were attracted to the fervour and the and the love that these people, these men and women had for Jesus, that they were just called to. They were called to his word and his commands and his understanding, his insight, all the things that we hear in chapter in verses one to four of Proverbs two. All of all of us should be seeking all of him. And so you don't think that I'm just coming up with this idea of of being a seeking people. Let me point to you a couple of places in the Bible where this is the case. If you go to Matthew, Matthew 7 and you see Jesus speaking to his disciples, he says to them, seek first the kingdom of God, ask and it shall be given. Knock and the door will be opened. Action. And, 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 and David, King David says in Psalm 6, oh, you are my God. Oh, how I thirst for you, how I earnestly seek you. You see, God's encouragement to all of us throughout all of history and all of the testimony of the faithful is that he is keen to draw us to him, to have us earnestly seek him out. He's there waiting. He's at the other side of the door. He just wants us to knock and come through. C.S. Lewis once said that in order for God to bless us, he has to have us. And I think that's so true. And then the question comes to so where does the where do we find this wisdom? Where do we seek this wisdom out? And you know, the more and more you think about it, the more and more you read these words this morning, what you're learning here, what we're all learning is that the wisdom of God is found exclusively in his word. His opinions and his insights and his commandments are all in this book for his people to see. Because the trajectory really of Proverbs 2 is to tell us all what we need to know about God and where it can be found in his, his holy word. It's why the reformers were so, so, so for scripture alone because they believed that scripture had the answers and it was a gift. It was a grace given to us as the church for instruction and for rebuke and for teaching and for maturing in our faith. And one of the greatest problems in the Christian church today is that we're so, and I include myself in this, that we're so desperate to understand God's way for us, God's path for us, that we get a level of anxiety around it. We want to know the paths, that you want to know that when the light and the, and, and the path that God gives us without reading his word and abiding in him. We want to know his will for our lives, but we don't dwell in the word. And what I find so liberating about Proverbs 2, incidentally, is that it's, as I said before, it's not commands, it's not laws. God doesn't force us down a path that we don't want to go. It's a choice. But he does want us to know where he is and where he can be located. He doesn't need to be manipulated or begged for his will to be done. He's offered it freely to those who don't deserve it. That's the gospel. The other day I was reading 1 Samuel chapter 3 and the scene is really poignant and quite relevant to what we're discussing this morning. It's the scene where Samuel is being called by God. 
in the temple. He's fallen asleep and he keeps hearing his name being called. And each time he hears it, he runs to Eli and says, have you called my name tonight? And Eli says, no, it wasn't me. And two or three times he does this until eventually the scripture tells us that God had to come and stand beside him. And he was recognised. His voice was recognised. God doesn't want Samuel to be mistaken about whose voice he's hearing. Just the same as he doesn't want us to be mistaken. He draws close to Samuel as he draws close to us. And close enough that he can be intimately heard if we're willing to listen. Every word can be known to come from him. And he does not share that throne with anybody else. He doesn't share the space. And it's the same God we read about in Proverbs 2 this morning. This is a God standing beside us and shouting for us to respond to him. To tell us the two ways to live, the two paths that we have. To receive his words, to treasure his commands, to turn our ears to him. And this pursuit of wisdom has benefits. The gift of having God's wisdom is that it exposes our own sin. And it points us to where we're going wrong and protects us from it. I think that's actually one of the primary reasons for the book of Proverbs is that it highlights the difference between the way of sin and the way of wisdom. It separates the wheat from the chaff, the sheep from the goats. And in verses 5 to 20, we get to see that being carved out for us, don't we? The idea that there's, there's there's a different way to go. If you don't have wisdom, this is the route that you might go down. We're told we're protected from evil and evil men and forbidden women. In other words, we're being protected from our own innate sin. Our own innate sinful nature that sometimes sees evil as good and good as evil. We're delivered from becoming either one of those things and it's an inclusive thing because he doesn't want us to become forbidden women or evil men. Because God knows that without earnestly seeking his wisdom, the path that's left for us is the one of folly and the one of the world. And in verses 6 to 8 and so on, you read what that feels like. You've got in there things like paths of walking in the dark ways, seductive words, perverse evil. But having that wisdom must be more about just avoid must be more than just about avoiding sin. What God is telling us here, what the scriptures tell us, what Solomon has written for us is that it's the guide of everything it's the guide to the path of everything good that we can have in this life and in the next. That's what God's wisdom gives us. Look at the contrasts in verses verses twenty to twenty two. For those who choose God's way over the way of folly and over the way of the world. In our deliverance from wickedness and the dark ways and the perverse evil, seeking God earnestly gives us a blessing. It takes us to a place of blessing. And so Proverbs lays out for us this morning, doesn't it? Two ways to live, two paths to take. It's a decision that I said earlier has eternal consequences for all of us. And so I want to return to the goal that I set out at the start of today's sermon. Have we, as a people, as individuals, as a church, resolved in our hearts to passionately pursue this God? 
and his wisdom. When we come face to face with the risen Jesus, when he looks deep into our histories and in the way that we have lived, ask yourself what his response to your life will be. Because there's only two ways that God can res- that Jesus will respond. He'll look at your life and he'll see your activity and what you've done as a Christian. And he'll either say, well done, good and faithful servant. Or he'll look at your life and say, depart from me. I don't even know who you are. I don't recognise your life. That's the clock that's running down in all of us. We've got a clock ticking because we've got a heart that ticks. We're mortals and the decision has to be made. We've got a choice a serious choice each and every one of us. Even if you're a not you're you're not a Christian and you're watching this, this choice belongs to you too. Do we decide to pursue God's wisdom with all our heart and mind and soul, or do we pursue the world's folly? That is a question for today, isn't it? That is a question for such a time as this. Let's pray. Father God, for such a time as this, you have given us the way, you have given us the option and you've given us your wisdom in order to pursue you with all of our heart and mind and soul and spirit. Encourage us, Lord, to renew our faith in you, to seek you out earnestly and love you with all of our hearts. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.